Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help us keep going by giving to The Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes. This week's patron is Laura Fries, and our guest once again is Joe Daniel Montalongo of the Your Fave Bad Movie Podcast. Welcome back. Oh my god, I'm so excited to be welcomed back to the Welcome to Primetime show. Welcome back to Welcome to Welcome to Primetime back to back. That is my favorite introduction to anything ever. (laughs) Thank you. I'm very proud of it. It is my crowning achievement. There are certain moments in life where I guess there's like no stakes in them, but I find them so magical. And hearing you say, welcome to Welcome to Primetime, for some reason just really gets me in my giddies. Oh, thank you so much. You're so you're so nice. Thank you. A lot of people don't tell me that I'm nice, so I like to believe that you tell me that. Oh, well, you don't have to believe it. I mean, well, you, I guess you do. <laughs> but, like, it happened. Whether or not you believe it, it happened. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, Thank you. you're welcome. Okay, we're here to talk about Season 1, Episode 12 of Freddy's Nightmares, The End of the World. This one uh, aired on January 15th, 1989. Here's what you could have watched in theaters instead. Uh, weird collection this time. You could have watched the Sean S. Cunningham underwater thriller Deep Star 6. Um, you could have watched the skateboarding movie Gleaming the Cube. Or you could have watched The January Man, which stars, I think, one of the James Bonds, but I don't remember which one right now. Let me look. Could I? What a what a fantastic opportunity after our beautiful run last week of all those beautiful movies. This week, I guess, we were left with the stinkers. Yeah, I don't know what happened here. And I'm totally wrong about the James Bond, so ignore me. Because isn't that the doctor in this episode? That might be what I'm thinking of. We'll get to yeah, that in I just think... a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, you. Uh, I spoiled myself by confusing myself. Um, okay, the writer of this episode is James Cap. Um, he wrote on some shows that I never heard of, including Poltergeist The Legacy, which I didn't know was a thing. I don't know how related it is to Poltergeist The Film Series. I'll have to look into that, because maybe that'll be season three of this show. Oh, okay. Uh, and also something called Dark Justice. Um, the director of this episode is Jonathan R. Betuel. He's the supervising producer of this show, and... I couldn't tell you what that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he also wrote and directed Theodore Rex with Whoopi Goldberg. Which I love that movie until I had someone recently ruin it by putting up the poster and then saying Biden Harris 2020 with it. And that made me laugh oh. so hard. Oh, no. <laughs> so oh, no. hard. And I was like, well, damn it. Another Whoopi Gold inspired thing that I can't watch because of Joe Biden. Wait, another one? What else is he ruined? I don't want to get into it right now. It's very sensitive to my heart, but just know that it's there. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry. Okay, um, the cast here is we have Albert Hall as Colonel Delaney. He was in Major Pain in American History X, Apocalypse Now, National Treasure Book of Secrets, every movie ever. Um, also, Andrew Prine as Agent Steers. He was in Amityville 2 and The Town that Dreaded Sundown. I think he's the third cast member of the show who was in Amityville 2, so I guess they have the same casting director. Bob Shea just likes to bring in people he's worked with before, I believe. That's true. Um, but, but basically everyone from the show was either in Amityville 2 or Falcon Crest, or both. 
Um, what a hell of a lineup. <laughs> I know. But shock of shocks. I In my research, I hadn't come across that this person was in this episode. But as kind of mentioned before, uh, Dr. Clark is played by George Lazenby, who you know did play James Bond in uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service and no other movie. And that's the first James Bond, right? Ever? No, the or first James Bond was Sean Connery. Um, unless you're counting that Casino Royale movie, but I'm not trying to. I'm not some big Bond nerd. Um, <laughs> so he he wasn't the first, but he's the, I think the only one who ever played him once in like the main series after Doctor No, which is interesting. And I I remember liking Under Majesty's Secret Service. I need to give it a rewatch. The Bond franchise is one of the franchises that I've been sleeping on. I kind of just watched the Craig ones and die another day i'm fascinated by how bad that movie is <laughs> well i haven't seen that since i was a child i'm sure i will i would appreciate it heaps and bounds more now <laughs> like not in the good high quality way necessarily but still in the way that can only be satisfied by pierce brosnan surfing a wave Caused by an avalanche, caused by his own car that can disappear and reflect the world around him. Look, that's all I want. Um, but yeah, speaking of things that are way less interesting than that, this episode of Freddy's Nightmares. <laughs> and you said um, it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so we open on Freddy's claws kind of like unpiercing a basketball so it like reinflates in his hands. Um, but let me make it very clear. This is just Freddy's hands. Robert Englund is not doing this. <laughs> um, maybe they reached the end of the season and they were like, holy shit, we're missing one. Some Bob, get your hands in here. We need something. And he's like, I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. His hand is was already decked out. It was he did not have to go through any special effects or makeup. He was like, I am ready. Yeah, this is his moment. I actually I really if we do introduce like an interview portion on the show, I want to talk to every single person who played Freddy's hands, who is not Robert Englund. Cause it, there are so many episodes where like, there are like, there's a silhouette of a claw on the wall or Freddy's hand bursts out of something. And I'm like, he was not on set that day. Who is this? I want to know. Exactly. In the same way that we have conventions for all of the famous Jasons, I want an entire panel of people who are just have one claw decked out and the rest of them looks completely civilian. Yes, because that's that. God, to be behind the scenes on this show, magical. <laughs> um, okay, so we are thrown into this episode in medias res. Um, it to the point that I thought I had accidentally skipped to like the second or third commercial break. <laughs> um, so we're in this. We're in this another actually just like the last episode you and I did. Um, it's another dream that is a flashback to something that literally happened. Um, there's consistency. Consistency is key. Yeah. Um, they're playing with the ball. The ball goes flying into this convertible car. The blonde girl gets in the car to get her ball and in the process releases the emergency brake and knocks her mom off a ladder in a very hilarious effect. <laughs> um, I laughed so yes. hard until I realized we weren't supposed to laugh. And then I laughed harder. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very John Waters. Like it, it's, you know, it's, you know, a grim moment if it happened in real life, but it's so hilarious and it's clearly just like some dummy of a mom. Um, but yeah, so it turns out, so we, we see this teenager who's watching this happen and it, we turn, it turns out she is Amy Collins. Uh, she wakes up, 
Her dad is downstairs getting drunk on eggnog before going to work. I was so hoping that this was going to be a throwback to Nancy's mom and him just being a severe alcoholic and just hiding alcohol all throughout the house. I was so excited when I first saw it. Yeah, and it it's not not that. It's definitely it feels like a kind of nightmare spin-off where it's maybe if there's like a, you know, like a set of goosebumps type books that were based on the nightmare kind of world. Mm-hmm. This feels like the one that's like very clearly trying to kind of recreate that first movie but in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so dad is getting day drunk, merry holidays to everyone. Um she has <laughs> Okay. So Amy goes shopping with her friend Jill. Um, she Jill holds up this dress and she's like, if this doesn't make David Silverman notice me, I don't know what will. And the dress, as far as I can tell in the low-res VHS rip that we can watch, it just looks like a chunky Christmas sweater. I don't know what David Silverman would see in it. David Silverman's going to be like, oh my god, look at that bag of trash on the ground. And he's going to run it over with his car. That was not flattering to you, Jill. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, look, I know that it it was hot in the eighties to dress like you're an accountant, but this is too far. <laughs> um, Follow the notes from the previous uh, episode. There's... That's not what the boys want. They want clarinets. No. <laughs> exactly. Um, if they're me, they do. Um, but yeah, so Amy has a scar on her forehead that she complains about in very clunky exposition. Um, we go to visit uh, which, Dr. Clark. By the way. What? Um, real quick before we move on, I had to yeah. rewind this over and over again because of said low quality VHS rip that we saw. I couldn't see the scar. And she was like, look at this scar. And she would move her bang. And I'm like, <laughs> where? And I was like, is she disfigured? Can I not? Can I not see? And then I finally saw it and I was like, I thought that was a shadow. The scar is not severe at all. It's like a... Th- it is like a, a just an extra like red bang that she missed like pulling them away. It looks like it's it's nothing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she she goes to her therapist, who's not a coach at the high school. He's an actual therapist, played by George Lazenby. Um, she talks about how she's been having dreams about these horrible calamities befalling people, and he's like, "Don't worry, you have more realistic dreams as you grow up." Uh, and she's like, "Okay, sure, thanks, James Bond." And- <laughs> So then she has a dream again. It's the exact same situation. The little girls are playing with a ball. One of the balls goes in the convertible. But this time, Amy's like, little girl, don't. Because in this fucking show and also in the 80s and maybe in any horror property, you can just address someone as little girl and it's not terrifying? <laughs> like, why oh, are you yeah. doing this? You could refer to me... If just don't, just don't, just don't. It's so creepy. It's so terrifying. It's just little girl, little girl, don't. Yeah, and it, it just I don't, I don't get why screenwriters think that this is a thing that anyone would say. Because like, if first of all, we should never assume someone's gender if we don't know them. There and you go. Second of all, I'm not running around like talking to people at work and being like middle-aged man, you dropped the ball. <laughs> Excuse me, senior citizen woman. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, it's bizarre. Like, I'm not the census taker. I don't know this person's deal. If you were in that situation and you were trying to prevent this accident from happening, how would you refer to this person? I'd be like, hey, stop it. (laughs) Um, I guess that's the easiest way to blanket everything, because if you say, hey, stop it, everyone in the vicinity is going to stop their action and be like, oh, my God, what's going on? And I guess that kind of gives you a little bit more time. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, it's like, look – I don't know how to address someone I don't know properly 
I just don't like you just shout loud enough that every yeah exactly that everyone will look at you and also that might alert the mom who's on the ladder so it, you know two birds one stone boom um but this time due to Amy's interference the car runs over the dark-haired girl's legs cuz she's just lying in the driveway <laughs> I think it's established that she like tripped on her way there I noticed uh, it like yeah. four or five dreams in but I was like what Okay, but why are you just now sitting there? Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Um, also, another thing that should be really dark and grim, but is high comedy. <laughs> I, I think this uh, episode is going for a comedy because it just gets more outrageous the more you go. Oh, God. It it goes places. I could <laughs> not... Look, if everyone get a piece of paper, write down how you think this episode is going to end, and I guarantee you that you will be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I will um, double down on that. I absolutely agree with you. I could not have figured out where this was going to go. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre. Um, but yeah, so she had agreed to pick up Jill for the dance at 730. Um, but she wakes up from her dream and turns out it's 8 o'clock. She calls Jill to apologize for not taking her out to the dance. And Jill's like, what do you mean? And she's like, come on. I mean, don't you want to go to the dance? You know, show off those sexy games and your beautiful dress that is just a pile of, <laughs> you know, raw cotton. <laughs> and Jill is crying and she's like, I thought we were friends. And because it turns out Jill is now in a wheelchair, she cannot dance or walk or show off her incredible gams underneath that Christmas sweater. Um, <laughs> so- and they did her so dirty. Cause on top of the fact that she's in a wheelchair, which doesn't make her in a bad situation. It's a different position. They mm-hmm. have her completely in the dark. She's looks like a grandma. She even has like a large, blanket on her legs and then she just hangs up the phone and is crying in the dark corner of this room like okay i mean at this point in this timeline she could have just been in a wheelchair and still living her best life right like i still don't get why she can't go to the dance yeah she has she's in like some attic window (laughs) staring at the snowy (laughs) scenes crying their parents Um, are like i will not let anyone see my child who has to roll around how dare (laughs) yeah oh no it's like um the, like, when she got run over by the car, her parents were like, we won't let the hospitals handle this. We'll handle this properly. <laughs> <laughs> we need to stop white people with money. That is just the life lesson here. I mean, it, yes. Um, but yes, so it turns out what she does in the dream affects the past and thus the present. So in her next dream, she saves both the girls, and it turns out, like, Jill is fi- Jill is fine, and also Amy's scar is gone. Thank God. Her hideous face is fixed. Um, And then she like busts into a locked cabinet and pulls out a framed photo of her mom. And I'm just like, this is, her dad is so extra. Her dad is just like, I don't have photos of your mom around because you look just like her. Who needs them? But also I keep this one just for special memories. Like, thank you, dad. Thank you for providing a character trait of yourself. Yeah, and then while he's swilling his boozy eggnog, he tells the saddest story <laughs> um, about how he found out. Well, because he's telling Amy that, like, yes, that dream that you had, it was real. Your mom died in this, and I quote, freak accident, which is a phrase that, again, I don't think anyone said in real life. Um, and he's like, well, I was on, uh, like, in the airport, and I was going on a business trip, but I got a call on the courtesy phone. And I found out that, you know, you rolled over your mom, basically. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's some real community theater acting between Amy and her dad here. 
Um, but it is so macabre. Like, he might as well be in that dingy attic window with his boozy eggnog telling Jill his super sad story. Um, See, that's representation. So that's the stories yeah. that we want. That's what we need. Yeah, that would be... I mean, look, I don't think Jill should be hanging out with middle-aged men in her attic, but, <laughs> you know, it'd be more interesting. Um, yes. Yes? Oh, no, um, I was just agreeing yeah. with you. That's so good. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Um, I love it when people agree with me. Um, anyway, yo, actually, whenever I do imitations of the characters in the show, and look, I've never pretended to be good at impressions, but I always do this kind of, like mid-atlantic like very fancy voice and i don't know why that's my instinct that is actually uh, a very good way to go i tend to go for either like a horrible boston accent or i just make everyone sound like a gruff truck driver and i'm like here's my impression of kate blanchett hey you guys it's me kate blanchett <laughs> i love it and that's what it is every time. And I'll be telling a story and I won't even be trying to do a bit. And I was like, oh, I was hanging out with my friend the other day and it was so fun. We went shopping, blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, hey, how does this Gucci dress look on me? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know why that's the role that I fall into. Look, there is, look, good impressions are impressive, but there's nothing funnier to me than a bad impression. So I do like just leaning into it and just going with the flow of what your body needs to say in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I... I think the way that you go for impressions, that is the voice of your soul, and that is your soul communicating through you. <laughs> yeah, you are communing <laughs> with with the spirit world. I happen to be Ted um, Levine in Joyride. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Okay. I need to back on track. So we're back in the dream. She saves her mom this time. She, well, she, she manages to save both the little girls and her mom. But then when she goes back into the real world, her mom is like, Amy, are you all right? And okay, you know what? I'm actually like dizzy from how much I laughed, so I'm gonna take a breath. Hold on. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, that is, I my heart is so alive right now. Thank you for everything that you are, Brennan. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so yeah, um, her mom comes in, and Amy's like, "I did it! You're alive!" And um, her mom's like, "Yeah, you know, <laughs> this this is me." <laughs> Um, and so basically she's like, well, where's dad? And your mom's like, didn't you hear your dad died in a plane crash? Um, he was going on that business trip and he died. He's like, you know, the day that I almost died because you almost ran me over, you dumb fucking bitch. Yeah. Your dad <laughs> died that day. Isn't that crazy? I know. And she's like, no, not my booze swilling layabout dad who was, <laughs> you know, constantly had his shirt unbuttoned and his tie, like, not even trying. Like, Dad um, didn't even have a job. What, who is he getting dressed up for? I don't know. Um, but she looks, and she has the framed photo, but now it's a picture of her dad, and it's a red and green Freddy frame, which I want. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. So, we do... Freddy does finally show up in this episode. He punctures that basketball again. He's like, accidents happen. And, yeah, which, I need a breather. These are statements. These are just statements that he is making. These aren't jokes. These aren't punchlines. These are just things that he figured he'd pull out of one of those like electric or magnetic poetry sets where you just combine words. He's just reading that off the fridge at craft table. That's the one time they could get him. Oh yeah. Well look, he was, this is the, I think he's in this episode for approximately 15 seconds. 
Um, yeah, it's the but also it's very lopsided distribution because he is in the second half a little more, and in the very end, we're spending like a full minute with him, and we'll get to that. It is, it is <laughs> wild. But yeah, so this episode actually. It's interesting because both of the episodes I'm having you on for are episodes that kind of are telling a full story with kind of the same main character, which is or roughly, um, which is very unusual for the show. Um, but so this one, Amy's having dreams again, but now she's having dreams of like she's in somebody else's body and they are like setting off the nuclear codes and starting a nuclear war. <laughs> is that where anybody thought that we would go? Could anyone no. have pinpointed this is where we were going? No. And she goes to George Lazenby, and she's she wrote down the code that she heard in her dream. And she's like, my dreams have gotten really out of left field now, Dr. Clark. <laughs> <laughs> she's and like, she I stopped said, dreaming about all those little girls and people that I could have saved. And now I'm legit dealing with missile codes? What the hell is that yeah. about? Yeah, now I'm dealing with the greatest fears of the 80s. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, so Dr. Clark, as soon as she leaves, he picks up the paper with the code that she wrote down. He picks up the phone and he says another thing that you would only say in a television show where he says, get me Langley, Virginia. Um, It's not like, let me talk to the CIA. Like Langley still, there are not many other things, but there are other things in Langley than the CIA. They patch you through to the general store and she's like, hi, Langley general. What do you need? He's like, oh, I need to talk to the CIA. She's like, oh, that's the next line over. Let me get you on over right now. This happens all the time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, people just pick up their phones and say Langley, and they connect them to the one business in Langley. People don't assume you want to talk to the CIA. <laughs> yeah. I love... We're actually... I feel like we're both kind of synchronized in this accent. I think we've stumbled into another impression that we can actually... <laughs> we have worked out this general store woman so well. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's also... It's like a hop and a skip away from my, like, one character that I play. Um... <laughs> Her name's Janet Devlin. She lives in Devlin, Missouri. And she's constantly inviting you to come on to her porch and say the spell, honey. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I'll be so, right over. I love her. <laughs> oh, yeah. She always has lemonade. And she's got she's got a very dark backstory. We'll get we'll get there. Um, <laughs> Do you have a place for me to park my 18-wheeler? <laughs> <laughs> I love Janet. Anyway. Um, okay. So... She has this kind of waking nightmare of this child covered in soot who's like, save us. And then we do get some more Freddy. There's a spinning globe. He says, today Springwood, tomorrow the world, kaboom. And there's a mushroom cloud on his head. <laughs> the special effects guys were like, finally, it's our time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's taken to this CIA bunker, which is, it's unclear. I don't know if it's in Springwood or in Langley. I don't know where we are anymore. Um, but this, these agents are trying to get her to like, see through this guy's eyes and see what information she can get because it turns out the code that she had was correct. And they're like, how does this girl with no connections know about this? Um, so it turns out we meet this guy. His name is Frank. He's very blonde. Um, <laughs> and she gets to see through his eyes being John Malkovich style. Mm-hmm. And so he's sleeping and dreaming and she's like seeing his dream and also his life sometimes it's unclear but he and his his wife and his son are playing scrabble sorry what were you saying or i was just gonna bring up is this because i get i think there's a christmas tree behind him and earlier it's kind of implied that it's around christmas is this actually a christmas episode or is this not a christmas episode well um i believe it 
Um, let me scroll back up my notes. Yeah, it aired in January 15th, so they, they missed the mark, but it definitely seems like they must have gotten delayed because it was super clearly a Christmas episode. Um, okay, so she's looking through Frank's eyes, but he is also dreaming, so it's a whole thing. Um, but he's playing Scrabble with his son, and they spell out the words nuclear war. And then what, when he's placing his last tile, his son's tooth falls out onto the tile, which is gross, and I loved it. Um, it was a great effect. It was so fun. Kind of... Oh, yeah. And also the wife's hair falls out. And, you know, there's kind of like mushroom clouds outside the windows. And his Gumby, his poor Gumby toy just melts. I saw was... that, and I don't know why that made me the saddest in the whole world. I love Gumby. I did not know he would make an appearance in this episode. And him melting just melted my heart. <laughs> yeah, it is the darkest casualty of this entire show. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, so after the first try, they don't have that much information, but they're like, Frank is, or she has like another dream that Frank is going to like actually set off the nuclear codes. And so they're like, we got to get to the bottom of this. And so they, they kind of cross reference, like all the men working for them in a missile silo, whose name is Frank, who has a wife and one son and are currently working right this second. And they're like, we've narrowed it down to 26 men. And I'm like, you really need to hire a more diverse staff. <laughs> that's just, that's the lesson. Include more diverse people and stop rich white people with money. Yeah. The, how do you have 26 white Franks working right now? With even, one wife and one child. Like, let yeah. come on. Even, and look, this is literally like the lowest thing you can do. Like the easiest thing. Maybe hire a woman. Like hire... Any, anyone who's not a straight white <laughs> man in his 30s. Um, but anyway, so she's dreaming. The army guy injects her with something, which never really goes anywhere. Um, Frank goes completely bug nuts. He basically, he knocks out his coworker, but then holds him at gunpoint. Not Is it at gunpoint? Does he have a gun? Yes. He is be like, put in the codes, come on, or I'll blow your head off. And then the guy's like, come on, Frank, don't do that. Like, the guy could not be more perturbed, but not actually concerned. Yeah. Um, and so it's this whole thing where they he sets the nuclear codes to blow up the exact spot where Amy is. And I'm like, so does he know she's in his head and he wants to kill her? I don't know what's happening. Why is Frank evil? Right. Um, like, the, the pieces did not connect because before it seemed like he was scared of what he was doing. And he was like, oh, no, am I going to lead to the end of the world? What's going on? And then suddenly after a commercial break, he's like, nope, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just going to lean in Cheryl Sandberg style. Um I actually, I think my thoughts on this character turn uh, are best summed up by, like, the CIA general guy who says, how did a sleepwalking wacko wind up with his trigger finger on the big banana? (laughs) (laughs) Your delivery continues to be absolutely astounding. (laughs) Thank you. I, that line is one of the best things ever written. Shakespeare, fuck you. Like, go home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's so good Aaron Sorkin is shaking in his boots oh yeah oh look Miss Sloan no wait what was that uh, Molly's game like that had him shaking already like you know <laughs> he was like oh shit I might not get a job after this yeah exactly um, so they like, does Amy buy time I don't know I don't know if she, this actually accomplishes anything but Frank gets shot um, 
And then Amy's like, he's dead and it wasn't his fault. It was the nightmares. And I'm like, was it? <laughs> what was any of this? It's like, um, actually, did you miss the part where he was wide awake and he pointed a gun at someone else and said, hey, put in the nuclear codes. We're about to end this world. Or did she not pick that part of the nightmare up? Yeah. And he's like, she's just like, well, he could have saved that little girl. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so... It makes no sense. And then there's the kind of like portentous ending line where they're like, all right, get your rest, Amy. We're going to start over again tomorrow. Let's find those Russian codes because that's how her dreams work now. Poor Um, thing. Imagine being like, well, I just performed this literal miracle of changing history. I I am the butterfly effect. Thank you, Ashton (laughs) Kutcher. And they're like, we need you to find the missile code. She's like, damn it. This is so boring. I wish I could have done literally anything else. Yeah, hands on cheeks, Macaulay Culkin style. Not again. <laughs> um, and then we're back with Freddy, but not in his normal liminal space. He, we are over the Earth in, in literal space. Um, he is riding a missile like Doctor Strangelove. Um, and he says, and I quote, I'd rather get rid of buckaroos one at a time. Yeehaw! Nuke em, cowboy! <laughs> He he was drunk that day, and he didn't even have a script. He just found a missile prop, and he was like, I've got it. I know what this one's about. And he went yeah. for it. Do you think they wrote the episode around him just improvising this? I can I imagine it. if you're trying to fill out 22 episodes of a season where you're like, what? This actually has nothing to do with Elm Street anymore. What could we possibly say? Sometimes they were just like, you know what? Robert Englund, just say something into camera, and we'll work around it. Yeah, or honestly, okay, I think I do think that's right, but I think maybe in this episode, um, he was like, "All right, I got it. We're doing this missile thing," and they were like, "But our episode's about a girl who can change the past in her dreams," and he's like, "It's going in." So like, well, I guess we got to rewrite the second half. Bob, um, Bob, let me tell you, the kids today they love Doctor Strange Love. They love what it's all about. I got it. I got a hook <laughs> that's gonna really bring them in for the remaining ten episodes of this season. Yeah, let me. Yeah, impending nuclear doom is hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes. Yeah, so, what are your final thoughts on this episode? Was it a dream? Was it a nightmare? Or did it put you to sleep? Um, I have seen the good version of this episode. That is Happy Death Day to you, which I absolutely <laughs> love. And having to revisit this episode, I would say that this one put me to sleep. Unfortunately. Oh, that's totally fair. I would say. The first half for me was a dream because much like the last episode, it incorporated dreams in a way that made it actually like a fun, coherent story that they were telling rather than just like a bunch of nonsense. Mm -hmm. But the second half for sure put me to sleep. And let me tell you, the crew behind Friday's Nightmares was not equipped to discuss nuclear proliferation. absolutely i i agree with you there i think the first half of it was so cool and so fascinating and i was like i can't wait to see what comes of it and then i saw what came of it and i it just kind of salted the whole episode but the first part of it is very good and kind of very interesting i would have loved to see them continue more with that yeah exactly it was such a good hook and then they were like you know what (laughs) let's let's fuck it up um also (laughs) yes everyone open that piece of paper that you wrote your prediction on and burn it because you were wrong (laughs) Um, there was one person in the back like, yes, finally someone's talking about nuclear war. Yeah, somebody's note says, Freddy in a cowboy hat riding a missile over the earth. <laughs> it's um, a guy who's like blazed out of his mind like, oh, shit, cool. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast can see into my brain. Um, <laughs> but yes, so let's remind the good folks out there at home, where can everybody find you on 
social meds? You can find me on Twitter at Joe Daniel BB. And from there, everything else is linked. So you can find my Instagram. You can find my OnlyFans. You can find my Deadweight Survival Guide, an online show that I do. And you can find my podcast, Your Fave Bad Movie, that Brennan gloriously starred on and sang the praises of The Greatest Showman. Uh, yes, it was such a blast. Again, highly recommend. Look, I don't actually recommend every podcast that i've ever guested on so you gotta you gotta take this as a genuine recommendation <laughs> listen to this one. Oh my god thank um, you so much you're welcome um but yeah so every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you please help us keep going by donating to the okra project you can donate through the link in the show notes take a screenshot of your receipt and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. You can find it find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands and Instagram at The Burning Clem. Our artwork was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send him a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Also, find us wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, and review. I love to read reviews, and I'm not getting enough of them. I need my material for the bathroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, next episode we're covering is called Deadline, and here's the synopsis. A washed-up newspaper editor finds out that the newspaper tells the future. So I guess kind of the opposite of what we just covered. That's kind of cool. I might have to keep watching that one. Yeah, we'll see if it's good. I'll I'll, I'll surreptitiously text you and be like, no, you're good. Cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Leave the people at home not knowing and leave me perfectly knowing. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, insider trading for uh, Welcome to Primetime. But yeah, uh, until next time, I don't know, sweet dreams. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody.